Hi, my name is Jordan Levy, and I am the Chief External Relations Officer at Ubuntu Education Fund. Welcome to Failures from the Field. This is a podcast series that seeks to uncover the truth behind development success stories. I interview innovative leaders in philanthropy and community development, and we dig deep into some of the nonprofit sector's toughest problems. Christoph Gorder is the Chief Global Water Officer at Charity Water, an organization dedicated to bring clean water to millions. We discuss what it was like to grow up in the Central African Republic. He tells how having all the supplies and resources in the world will not help you assist refugees when separated from them by the military. We talk about how the world needs global solutions delivered through local institutions. He explains why clean water is often misunderstood. We talk about the balance between international pressure and quiet diplomacy and address the fact that if you can't deal with failure, you won't last. Let's listen. Uh, so we're here again talking about failures from the field and uh, the discussion we want to have is to uh, move past some of the success stories in our field. Uh, we often hear about the impact and the incredible things going on in the world and the inspiring stories of people who are trying to make change through social entrepreneurship um, and through social development. And there's often a lot of pressure on groups to, to put out those incredible success stories and get right to the impact they're having on the world. And that is excellent and it can teach us a lot about how change can be made. But um, in this podcast, we try to explore some of the journey to get there, um, some of the stories that might be informative of the hard times uh, that may have taught us the most. And uh, today I'm with Christoph Gorder, the Chief Water Officer for Charity Water. Um, and, and Christoph, thank you for joining me. Great. It's great to be here. So I just want to start off um, by uh, asking you um, if you could articulate basically um, your personal mission statement, what change you would love to, to see in the world through your work. Um, well, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I guess my my personal mission statement is 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 sort of simple. Uh, I uh, I want to see a world where every kid uh, in the world grows up with the kind of possibilities that I had as an American kid, uh, and that means uh, healthcare, that means education, that means security, uh, that means development, and you know my ability to have and grow my own family. Uh, and that's just not the case for actually, you know, the majority of the world's population in many cases. Uh, it's, uh, it's very real for me. I grew up in uh, the Central African Republic. Uh, and so the kids that I grew up with, that I played with when I was four, five, six years old, um, have lived vastly different lives over the course of the last 40 years than I have. And it's just a function of where they were born. And I, I don't think that's right, and I am trying to do everything that I can to change that one person at a time. With that kind of formative experience, um, you must have had some early attempts uh, at, at trying to achieve this, this personal uh, mission statement. And I'm sure um, earlier in your life, possibly with less uh, resources at your disposal um, and, and less experience, um, there must have been some interesting trial and errors uh, in your early pathway. I'd love to, to hear about those a bit. Well, I, uh, I think for me it wasn't, 
It was something that I became more aware of as I got older. Uh, growing up in that kind of environment, I, I wasn't as acutely aware of it, obviously, as I am now, and, and how important and vast the differences were that, that were right in front of me. So for me, the, the, the journey on this path of really taking action began um, after college when I started working for an NGO and working in disaster response in some of the, the toughest places in the world. And I thought it would be a two-year sort of Peace Corps type of experience and then I would get on with my life and, and, and do something else. And the more I got involved and the more I saw the need and the possibility to make a difference in that need, the more, I guess, dedicated I became to trying to scale up that, that difference. So I, I think back to you know, my own growing up experience, and I, I think there, what I took away from that was really a foundation of empathy and, uh, and, and community with people all over the world, where I realized very intimately that these people were no different than I was. And that has served me to think about uh, this for many, many years. Uh, in those early experiences, uh, kind of what you thought of as that, that, those first um, trips and, and, and the first experience in, in trying to assist in disaster relief, uh, what did you see as your greatest successes in, in being a part of that and, and what was most frustrating to you? Well, um, I mean, I think since we're talking about failures today, uh, disasters are, you know, epic failures. Um, they're epic failures of infrastructure and, you know, the government's ability to respond to a particular uh, catastrophe that happens for their citizens. So, I mean, it, it, when you talk about failures, um, they're, 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 they're massive failures. And so, as a relief worker, you insert yourself into this. And I think, you know, from day one, you realize that, you're operating in a world, in a failed world, and in a world of failures. And you need to be able to find successes in that world. And if you, if you can't deal with failure, you're just not cut out for it. Like you won't, you just won't last. So in, in a highly unpredictable situation, like a, you know, a big natural disaster or a refugee crisis, uh, you need to realize that every day you're gonna face failures around you and failures of your own ability to, 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 to accomplish what you set out to, to do. And you need to learn from that and you need to bounce back from that and you need to not get discouraged uh, in order to really make a difference over time. And if you could articulate a learning that you took away from, from some of these experiences, something that, that where uh, maybe one of these epic failures was, was going on, you weren't able to accomplish what you wanted, but you were able to, to work around it. Yeah, I think about uh, working in a Kosovo refugee crisis, for example, in, in 99, and being on the Macedonia-Kosovo border, and being there with relief supplies, with the ability to uh, to provide medical attention to refugees and the border was closed and there were 30,000 refugees that we could see a couple hundred yards away. Uh, there were uh, military units between us and them and we were, we had completely failed 
at achieving you know, diplomatic access to these people, humanitarian access to these people to provide them with medical uh, care. It was March, it was in the mountains, it was very cold, these people had been walking and traumatized, and we could see, we could see very ill people, old people, children, um, within eyesight who we could help, and we, we, we were unsuccessful for several days in, uh, in, in getting access. Um, I think people responded in, in different ways. Some people got very angry and um, went to the media and gave, you know, strong uh, denouncements of uh, the, the, the Macedonian government, for example. Um, others of us worked quietly with the government institutions, patiently, painfully, you know, through hours and hours of meetings uh, to try to broker a deal to get in there. Um, and, you know, it's hard to say what actually worked to create the breakthrough. Was it the international pressure on CNN or was it the quiet, you know, operational diplomacy that we were trying to do in, 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 uh, in, in the meeting rooms? Uh, ultimately, there was a solution. And my, my lesson from that was, you know, there, if you stay at it, uh, you, it's unlikely in these things that you will achieve your objective on the first try, but if you stay at it, you, you, you will be able to achieve what you want to do, and in that case, it was we wanted to provide medical care to people who needed it. Um, it, it very interesting that you mention um, timelines and the, um, the, the, the timelines for success of, of different goals. Uh, as we, we sit here shortly after the sustainable development goals have been um, uh, approved, what do you think about the, the general philanthropy community, development community's view on uh, timelines for change? Um, are we giving ourselves enough time? Are we being honest about uh, how long it's going to take based on what you were articulating about how, how we must be patient? Look, I, I think it's... Uh it's a hard question. I mean, the, 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 the right answer to that question is like, we should have done this yesterday. <laughs> um, it's unacceptable that, you know, 663 million people today don't have access to clean water. I mean, it's, you know, that millions of people die from preventable diseases every year around the world, um, that kids don't have education. I mean, these are great injustices uh, in front of us. And so, you know, it's hard to reconcile the urgency with which we can, which with, with which we should be addressing these things and the reality of how difficult and long and costly change takes. So, I mean, I think for, for, the, for the development goals, it's, it's great that the international community has come together on such an ambitious and long-term plan. I mean, to be thinking 15 years out is really ambitious in the concrete ways that we're thinking about it. Um, very few things in life are planned that far out. Um, you know, if you look at the world's major corporations, they'll have a five-year strategy. <laughs> um, you know, if you look at funding uh, cycles, it'll be three-year three-year funding cycles. So, you know, to really think about a path that we want to be on and where we want to be 15 years from now, is a is a is a major and important framework for for all of us. But it's going to take time. 
Charity Water is a, a very well-respected organization, um, an organization that is, is well-known uh, and, and has had, had so many great successes. Uh, you've joined somewhat recently, and I'm, I'm interested, when you first joined, uh, what is it that you saw that you wanted to, to change? What, did, what effect did you want to have on this organization coming in? So when I joined uh, Charity Water, we, were, we, had, we had grown very quickly as an organization. It's a young organization. Uh, we had, we had, we, we've had a lot of support, uh, and we were growing very quickly, and growth brings with it all sorts of, of challenges. Uh, you know, our mission is to provide clean water to, and, and sanitation to people around the world who need it. Um, and it's a very, very complex problem to, to address. And what, what I wanted to change when I came here was primarily to, to put in place, to, I wanted to change our ability to scale up. So one of the big problems with the humanitarian aid world so far is that the scale has been fairly small. Um, we see a lot of great work out there, but it's small, it's local, it's individual to one country or one city or one community. And we were looking at this, you know, f trying to think of a global system where we could be supporting projects touching millions of people every year. And it wasn't clear how we would actually accomplish that. How do you actually find and vet and deliver on that massive scale of uh, operations every year? So, you know, one of the key challenges when I came in was to think about and design a system that would be able to, uh, to do that effectively so that we wouldn't be just stuck as one more organization that was doing great work but small work. The, the world needs big solutions, big solutions that come and are delivered with very high quality. And so that was, you know, that was one of the challenges that I, I, I was, I spent a lot of time thinking about at the beginning. Sure. And if you could uh, put out there one uh, key fact or understanding of, of that, that would counteract uh, kind of the biggest misunderstanding that people out there have about clean water and the delivery of clean water, what do you think is m most misunderstood either about the, the general issue, about Charity Water's mission? Is there something that you, you could put out there that would, would help educate? Well, I mean, delivering clean water is, it's, and delivering clean water in a sustainable way, where the water is actually going to continue to flow for many years and uh, provide the public health benefits that we expect it to, 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 to provide, uh, it involves a complex set of stakeholders on the ground. Um, local governments, local communities, uh, it involves behavior shift at the community level in terms of how um, how uh, how they think about sanitation, for example, the big the big public health benefits of clean water don't necessarily come from the clean water itself, but from the sanitation. So, as a simple example, I could give you all the clean water that you want, but if you don't wash your hands after you go to the bathroom, you're going to get sick. So, what starts as a seemingly easy solution, which is that I just need to get water to come out of a pipe to change the world becomes a much more complex intervention around making sure that that water is going to continue to flow 
and making sure that the people who are using it have the tools and the knowledge to be able to use it in a way that's going to keep their children healthy. And that, the, the, the misconception about water, the greatest misconception about water is that it's as easy as just giving somebody a bucket of clean water. And it's, it's not. It's, it's a much more complex thing. And finally, I'm very, very interested um, in terms of the big solutions. Um, and I think it, the, the ambition is, is um, excellent. The, the question I have is, if one of the issues we have is that um, a lot of these, uh, the work we do is, is local and we want it to reach millions, how do we reverse engineer that so that when we are reaching millions, we still have the, the, the local talent on the ground to, to make sure that the more complex uh, things happen, if you see what I'm saying. So um, you mentioned all the complexities that, that follow on from clean water that are essential to make that clean water have an effective uh, impact. Uh, in what ways have you tried to engineer your programs uh, to, to be both big in scale um, but, but smaller in, in terms of their ability to reach uh, local actors? So I think, I think there's, there are a number of components, but I'll, I'll, I'll single out two, which I think are, are, are probably our most important ones. Um, the first thing is that we accomplish our mission through local partners, through organizations uh, run by local professionals who we identify and support and help them get stronger, and they're doing the implementation which means it's not somebody from Charity Water from New York who's gonna to go to uh, one of the countries we work in, they'll be there a couple years and then they'll come out. These are institutions that have been there for a long time and that will be for, there for a long time, understand their context and um, will be part of the development story of, of their country. So focusing on local capacity, whether it's local NGOs or local government or local private sector, is something which is absolutely fundamental to our model and to our belief in achieving lasting change. The second thing I would say is that we have really shifted our sights from uh, you know, achieving short-term results to achieving long-term results. And that's posed a fundamental shift in our programming from uh, to, to, to launch a whole new program which we've called Pipeline which is designed to keep water flowing and enhance sustainability for many years after a project is completed. And this is where, you know, I think the industry has fallen short in many ways is to declare victory before victory was truly achieved. We're gonna declare victory when we're able to say all of the communities that we set out to help have water flowing and we are able to prove that year in and year out. And that may be a 15 to 20 year process. That shift in our sort of expectation of how long this race is going to be, that it's not a 5K, it's a marathon, uh, has, has, has really, I think, changed our, our focus and um, is really exciting to us, but it's daunting. Um, it's, it's different to run a 5K than, a, than, than to run a, a marathon. Well, Christoph, thank you so much. This was, this was awesome. I really appreciate your time. Great. Thank you so much.